or whatever, awesome or whatever. Um, I, uh, I am not a very good looker for things, searcher for things, finder of things. Um, and it's funny because I just said that, looked over at my wife and she rolled her eyes because even that is sort of um, overselling it a bit. I'm, I'm, the, uh, I'm the guy who, like, you know, mom said if it had been a snake, you know, if your head wasn't attached, you know, that kind of thing. I was, I was that guy. And I'll just be like traipsing around the house like, where are my keys? Where, you know, and they're like right there. There's a spotlight on them, you know, arrows pointing to my keys. That's me. Uh, but it's, it's helpful to know that there are other people like that in the world. Last week after church, I was visiting with, with someone and uh, having just the normal after church conversation, just the normal stuff. It's beautiful outside, all that kind of stuff. And this person began to be more distracted uh, from our conversation, which wasn't that interesting anyway, and more like, not, not agitated, but like obviously there was something they, they were searching for and they couldn't find. So they're digging through their purse right there, trying to find something, and pretty soon I realized, all right, I should just stop talking because they're not even listening to me anymore. Finally, you know, because they're not listening to me, they just kind of look up and they're like, I cannot find my keys. Now, I thought they were joking because their keys were literally in the palm of their hand. <laughs> and you know, trying to break that news to somebody where you're like, um, well, hmm, where could they be? Let's see, I don't know. Have you checked your hands? You know, you say stuff like that. It sounds so condescending, but, um, but they were in, in their hands. And I was, I, was, I was grateful to know that I'm not that only person out there. And I think we can all probably relate to that sense of having something and not realizing that you have it. Having something right in the palm of your hands and not realizing that it's right there. And that's the, the concept we're going to talk about specifically today. We are starting a brand new series. It'll be a three-week series, and we're talking about this idea called Taste and See, which is a very churchy Old Testament concept. But the idea of Taste and See is this invitation. It's, it's kind of like, try it, you'll like it, right? That phrase, try it, you'll like it, that phrase has preceded both very good experiences and very bad experiences for me. Try this, you'll like it. I tried the uh, octopus sushi with the tentacles on it. Did not like it. Not enjoy it at all. Try it. You'll like it. I did try the zipper ride at the carnival, and, and it was a death trap, but I did, in fact, like it. That, that phrase kind of brings to mind this idea of a shared experience of something that we want other people to feel. We want other people to experience with us, and we like it in good and bad ways. Like, hey, taste this. It's delicious. However, many of you probably have a friend that says, hey, smell this, and you smell it, and you're like, what in the world? Isn't it awful? Yeah, it's awful. Why did you ask me to smell that? Like, taste this. Oh, I think it's gone bad. Yeah, I didn't want to drink it before I knew whether or not the milk was inspired. So thanks for, for tasting it. We all have somebody like that. We're going to read the passage of Scripture, and we're going to read kind of building up to it uh, this morning. The passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at, not, not looking at for three weeks, but discussing for three weeks, is Psalm 34.8. But we want to work our way back to that. And before we do that, I just kind of want to get us in the state of mind that the author, I believe, was in as he was composing this. Of course, it's, it's, it's David, and David has just been through this, this experience that's just kind of unbelievable. You can read about it if you want to at some point. But he is kind of riding on a high a little bit of feeling like God is there for him. God is with him. God has got his back. And he's feeling that. And David, of course, was, was this shepherd. 
He was a warrior. He was a refugee. He would become a king. But the way he expressed himself was in song. And I don't know. I mean, we always, you know, David's playing the harp, right? And we always imagine this kind of low-key lullaby-type music. But this song feels like, you know, a guitar solo a little bit. Well, David's got the harp on his side, and he's just, like, going crazy. Because he's so excited about this, what he's about to talk about. And he's so excited about getting other people to share this experience with him. So we're going to start in verse 1 of Psalm 34, and I just want you to envision somebody that's got all this enthusiasm, and that maybe just by sheer force or sheer will of their enthusiasm, you get excited about what they're talking about as well. So uh, Psalm 34, verse 1. This is what he says. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. And that sounds pretty typical, pretty, you know, if you read the Psalms, there's lots of verses like that. But understand the context of what he's saying. He's just come through this experience. He says, let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glory in the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. He says, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. And then he says in verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Now just imagine David getting more and more wound up and there's more enthusiasm in his voice than I can muster reading that scripture. He's excited and you get done listening to this and and David's got this invitation. Now there's more. We're going to talk about some of the later verses in this, but you're excited about, he says, taste and see. I want you to experience this goodness of God with me. I want you to sense that. And you're sitting there getting all excited by his enthusiasm. You're like, yeah, I'll have what he's having. Give me some of that. I want to experience God's goodness. I want that. I want to be able to walk out today and just like feel the goodness of God all around me. I want to be like David. If I got an instrument in my hand, I start playing a guitar solo and I'm singing to God. I want, I want to experience the goodness of God. I want that. I'll have what he's having. And I think we've all probably felt that. We've, we've wanted something that we didn't experience. We wanted something that we didn't feel like we have. So the question that we're going to talk about today, this morning, is how do we experience the goodness of God? How do we experience the goodness of God? Now, if you've been in church for years, if you've been in church most of your life, you've got the pet answer, right? You know, well, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. All right, right, we can say that, and it's, it's true, it is true, but I don't know that we always experience that. We always feel that. And some of you old church people are like, whoa, 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 our faith is not about what we experience. Don't go there. That's getting all out there and weird. You can go to another church if you want to experience something. We're old school. We like the Bible. We like what it says. But we don't want to experience anything. But I think deep down inside, inside of us, we've got this desire to know God, to relate to God, to experience God's goodness. And even if you're not a believer, you want whatever it is when people experience that, when people feel like God is good and God is blessing them. You want that. But it may not feel like your circumstances, like your life, result in that. And we're going to talk about that this morning. How do we experience God's goodness? And, and let me say, this is the basic premise, and we're just going to kind of repeat this till I'm done. But the basic premise is this. God's goodness is in the palm of our hands. It's there. It's the keys we're searching for. It's there. But the problem is, is we're looking everywhere else but right there. God's goodness is right there, but we're looking everywhere else. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. 
And, uh, well, I was in a coffee shop, and a lot of my stories start this way. I was in a coffee shop, headphones on, a long table. There's some guys next to me. And this guy, a couple seats down from me, he says, I just can't take it anymore. So turn the music down, leave the headphones in, which is the key to eavesdropping. <laughs> well, what can't this guy take anymore? This is interesting. Interesting. And so he's talking to his buddy, going, having a conversation. He said, I can't take it anymore. I can't. It's too much wow, what is too much in his life? You know, here I am. I work at a church. I minister to people. Maybe I can help him out. Maybe I can, you know, just sidle up to him and say, excuse me, do you know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? You know, something like that. Something real awkward, right? But I'm listening to this conversation, and it turns out, it's true, it turns out he's talking about his children. Now, you're like, oh, what are his children like? He has four children. (laughs) I know a lot about this guy. (laughs) That's what you get from being nosy. He has four children, And he was complaining to this friend, this buddy, that the previous weekend, he had to, by himself, take care of all the children. Now, how many of you ladies are like, hmm, would you point that guy out to me? Because I would like to just slap him and then backhand him. You're like, oh, life is so hard. You had to take care of all your children for an entire weekend. Oh, it must be so rough. Now, you're feeling like that, right? You know, you feel that. But this is the example of when we have something good in the palm of our hands and we can't recognize it as good. This gentleman had managed to take what should have been a blessing and through the power of his perspective made it a burden. He had, he had the, now you're like, well, we don't know his kids. Maybe his kids are hellspawn and they're, maybe it was bad. I don't know. It's possible. We don't know. But the, the ability to take something that should be a blessing and through the very power of our perspective, be able to turn it into a burden. And that is a, unfortunately, a pretty powerful gift that many of us have, that many of us have. Here's the deal. We like to complain. Did you know that? We like to complain. And we complain a lot. Now you're like, oh, wait, no, 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 that's not me. That's somebody else. Maybe you're nudging somebody next to you. 78% of all conversations center around complaint. Did you know that? I just made that statistic up. I have no idea. (laughs) But I think it's pretty high. I think. That's my guess. I don't know, but it, it does seem pretty high. Now, I was, I was working on this sermon. I had finished my sermon up uh, this weekend, this, this Friday, and I was getting some other errands done. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to preach this sermon, and we got a good church. we got good people. They don't complain. They don't, they don't look at God's goodness and see the curse inside God's good. They don't, they don't do that. We've got such a good church. We don't need that. I'm not that way. I'm certainly this happy-go-lucky, optimistic person. I certainly don't need this message. I had finished writing the message, right? Finished it. I'm done. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I just don't know that this ch- our church need this. It needs this. Well, uh, I was working on my car, which usually means it's worse than when it started. But I was trying to fix something on my car. And I went to the auto parts store. I said, I need this part. They gave me this part. I went back to my car, and it wouldn't fit. It's like, and I, oh, man. 
I took that part, I put it back in the car, and I'm driving back over to the auto parts store. And it's hard for you to imagine me like being this worked up, but I was like, I'm going to let that guy have it. He made me drive 20 minutes out of my way, gave me the wrong part, had to drive home, realized it was the wrong part. Now I'm going to drive all the way back, and I'm going to, oh, and, and he's going to be like, oh, sir, I'm sorry. And I'm like, well, no, thank you. I'm going to take my business elsewhere. That, I was working out this whole thing in my mind. I'm so upset, so worked up, and I brought the part back in, you know, and I'm not really this way. I'm not really going to yell at the guy. So I kind of meekly brought the part and I said, hey, this part doesn't fit, fit right. And he's like, oh, that does, yeah, that looks wrong. And I was like, yeah, it's totally wrong. <laughs> and he said, uh, oh, you wanted the thing for the front, not the thing for the rear. And I was like, oh, no. I told him that I wanted the wrong thing and he gave me what I told him and I got all steamed at him. And this is what I did because this is my personality. I'm feeling so guilty. And I was like, you know what? The whole drive here, I was angry at you. I was mad. I was talking about you to myself in the car. And it's my fault. It's real. I, I apologized to him. He had no idea what the Apologized to this random stranger. And he was so nice. He was like, oh, no, it was probably me. And then we had this, like, standoff of, oh, no, it was me. And he's like, no, it was me. Super polite Minnesota-style standoff. Lots of complaint in our lives. And, and honestly, honestly, I think we like it a little bit. I do. I think we like to complain a little bit. We enjoy it. It's like, it's like gossip, right? Nobody, nobody's like, hey, I got some gossip for you very often. But when we're having that conversation and we're like, oh, they did what? What happened to them? We like it. And when we feel that this idea of complaining, I think we like it. We like for other people to know how difficult our lives are. Because this is the reason I know we like complaining. Because we competitively complain. You're like, wait, what? No, this will happen in a conversation. Somebody will be like, oh, yeah, this, I had to do this thing. And you'll be like, oh, that's nothing. Listen to what happened to me. Like, it's, got, it's competitive unless somebody has a bigger complaint. We like it. We enjoy doing that. But the problem with complaining is it's like looking for your keys when they're right in the palm of your hand. Because it forces you, complaining forces you to miss what's right there and focus on what you don't feel like you have when you do. Complaining is like looking for the keys when they're right in the palm of your hand. Let me tell you a little story that's, that's very confessional. And I got the exact details from my wife because I didn't want to say anything wrong. As a, 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 so this is, a, this is a few years ago. This is before we moved to Minnesota. So I want to distance myself from this previous version of me that I'm going to be talking about. So that you're not angry at me, but you're angry at old me. All right? So I want to tell you that in the beginning of our marriage, or early in our marriage, but not nearly early enough for me not to know better... I came home from, uh, from work, came home from the office, and my wife, Corrine, who's sitting over here, now you're all going to look at her, watch her reactions during this story. Yeah, you're, you're like, well, let's see what she's going to she, uh, she is making dinner in the kitchen. Picture of domestic bliss, right? Dad coming home, right from the 1950s, right? Wife's in the kitchen making, making dinner. And uh, I walk in like, hey, honey, I'm home, you know, what are you making? I lean over, and she's like, she's making turkey and spinach casserole. Now, neither of those things sounded super exciting to me. You know, just didn't, not real exciting. And I was like, so gently in my super sort of passive aggressive way, she's at the counter and I come up behind her and I was like, I'm not feeling the turkey and spinach casserole. I'm not feeling it, right? So I come up behind her, put my hands on, on her shoulder and kind of gently say, hey, uh, have I never told you how I feel about spinach? Right? Now, I know you ladies want to hit me too right now, because let me tell you, this is why. 
there is someone who decided that they were going to commit the rest of their life to living with me. They had given up whatever plans, whatever future they had, and they had decided to, you know, hitch their train to my wagon, right? You know, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna marry me. We're going to be one flesh. This is someone who's given up their life for me. This is someone who has spent time cooking for me in the kitchen, getting ready for a healthy dinner when we got home. We were trying to eat healthier, hence the turkey and spinach. This is someone who's thinking about me and my health and my future, and here they are making me a meal so that I can can enjoy it so that we can be healthier. This is like there's so much going on. I managed to climb up this mountain of goodness and I found this one little nugget of something bad. And I pull that one little nugget out and I'm like, honey, look, I found this nugget of bad. Have I ever told you how I feel about spinach? <sighs> Listen, if I would stop just for a moment and acknowledge all of the blessings that are exemplified in that moment, I would beat a hot pile of garbage and be happy about it because there's so much good and so little bad. But I managed to sift through all the good, throw the good aside, and find this little bad thing. And here's the crazy thing. I don't even mind spinach. I don't know what I was thinking. I was probably just in a bad mood. Now, ladies, you're like, oh, man, Kareem, the thing she has to put up with. Don't worry about Kareem. She can handle herself. That was her dad saying amen. Hey, honey, have I ever uh, told you what I feel about spinach? Kareem, I don't care. I think... I could be wrong, but I think God's got to be like that sometimes where we're just like, we're just digging through this huge pile of goodness and blessings that he's given us. And we found this little scrap of something bad. And we're like, God, why? And God's like, listen, buddy, I, I don't care that much. You got all this good. You just need to, you know, come on, be an adult here. Just be an adult. Eat the turkey and spinach casserole already and get on with your life. It's just ridiculous. But here's the, here's the point I want to make is that the good far outweighs the bad in our lives. Now, I know some of you are like, whoa, I just got a diagnosis that does not agree with that statement. Or, hey, there's been some things that happened in my life that do not feel like that. But I just want us to, to just for a second, we'll get to that just real quick. But generally speaking, can we agree that the good in our lives, if we were to take, if all the good were tangible bricks and we were to stack them up, our good pile of bricks would be much larger than our bad. I think, we, I think that's true. If you don't agree with that premise, then you can explain to me why later. But I think the good in our lives far outweighs the bad, despite our circumstances. God cares about us. But yes, there is going to be bad, and we'll talk about that in just a second, but we've got to understand that the good far outweighs the bad. This means, if that is true, and this is big, this means that my situation does not need to improve for me to experience God's goodness. Now, I don't know if that landed or not, but that's an important statement. Nothing about your life has to change in order for you to experience God's goodness. God's goodness is in the palm of your hand. Now you're like, whoa, there's some stuff I would change about my life. I get that. But nothing about your life needs to change in order for you to experience God's goodness. But a habit of complaining turns 
all that on its head. When we habitually complain, we're typically digging through this, this mountain of goodness to find the occasional nugget of complaint. It turns a blessing, having children, into a burden, having to watch them. Some of our complaints, by the way, some of our complaints, I know you got some serious ones, but some of our complaints are other people's wildest dreams. They dream of having the things that we're complaining about. I think complaining says more about us than it does about our circumstances. And then I believe, most importantly, it completely desensitizes us to God's abundant goodness. Maybe you have God's goodness, and it's just right there. And you need to realize that it's just right there. Now, some of you are saying you're minimizing the bad I've experienced. Maybe the worst you've had in your privileged little life is a little spinach in your turkey casserole, but I've had some real stuff going on in my life. What you're talking about here minimizes the difficulty that I've had in my life. Fair point, fair point. But it's right in our verse. Go back to, go to the next slide, if you would, Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Experience God's goodness. But David is not hiding from the difficulties of life. For David, it's not all first class. It's not all uh, octopus sushi. It's not all spinach-free casserole. It's not all whatever you think is good in your life. It's not all healthy diagnosis. It's not all good in David's life. In fact, right in this verse, taste and see that the Lord is good. Right in this verse is this. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Blessed is the refugee who finds safety in him. If you're a refugee... It's not good. That's not good, abundant blessings in your life. Right in this passage is built into this passage that David is going through some difficult times. And he still is managing to see God's goodness through this or see God's future goodness redeeming him through this. Psalm 34, 18 and 19 says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Then our hearts are going to be broken at times. But God is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Many troubles. The righteous person may have many troubles. What's he talking about there? My garage door opener doesn't work anymore. No. He's talking about some difficult stuff, stuff that we experience, stuff that we complain to God about. He's talking about some hard times. The righteous may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him. And there's this future implication in this. The Lord will. The Lord is there. The Lord is close in spite of those things. Here's what's crazy. And I am not here yet. Because what I'm about to tell you is some graduate level faith that I'm just not mature enough to have. But there are Christians who exist in the world who not only see God's goodness in the midst of suffering and difficulty... But they see God's goodness because of suffering and difficulty. They see God's goodness as a result of the suffering that they are going through. Now, that's some deep stuff. Seriously, I don't know that I could get there. Hopefully, God never tests me on this. But I have met people that in the midst of their suffering, and you're saying, oh, I wish this hadn't happened. I wish this wasn't the way. And they're like, nope, I wouldn't change a thing. Because that is, 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 he's refining me through this. I don't know how you have that type of perspective. David said later in Psalm 119, 71, he says, It is good, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Paul wrote in Romans 8, he said this. He said, We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope. Without that suffering, we don't have that hope. 
But when we're sitting there holding God's goodness in the palm of our hand, but we're, we're focused on the difficulties in our life, we're not, we're not able to develop the hope that God is trying to develop in us. He sees the good in the suffering. There's a uh, theologian by the name of Miroslav Volf. I'm, I'm sure you're all very familiar with him, read lots of his books. Um, but he, he experienced some difficulty in his life uh, in Eastern Europe, wars, family family dying, experienced a lot of difficulty, a lot of suffering. And uh, this is what he wrote after the shootings in, in uh, Newtown, Connecticut, the, the school shootings. He's, and I, I thought this was so wise. Those who observe suffering are tempted to reject God. Those who experience it often cannot give up on God. They can't give up on God. Because sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes our, our observation of difficult times leads us to bad conclusions. But our experience of difficult times often, not all the time, often directs us to God. So I want to ask you just, a, just two questions as we wrap up this morning. Just two questions. First one is this. What goodness is in the palm of your hand that you may completely be ignoring? Like, like, as you leave here today, you can think about that difficulty. That's fine. I'm not telling you to ignore your problems. But what is the goodness in your life that you're ignoring in order to focus on that difficulty? Secondly, second question is, how can we learn to see God's goodness not only in spite of suffering, but even because of suffering? That's a deep question. I honestly, I don't know if I'm there yet. Because I, when, we, when I pray with my kids at night, we, we thank God for our house and our blankets and the, you know, the heater or the air conditioning, whatever the season is. And I'm always thinking, man, God's going to let the other, we got all these good things, God's going to let the other shoe drop at some point. Am I going to be able to handle that? You, you, are, you may be thinking, some of you that have gone through difficult times may be thinking, okay, Patrick, you can say that now, but come back to me after you've had something real tough. I'm hoping I'm hoping that, that the faith that we see exemplified in David, exemplified in other people in our midst that have gone through difficult suffering and have maintained and even grown in their faith, is, will be in me if and when God asks me to go through difficult moments like that. I want to be prepared for that. I want to be prepared to see the goodness that's in the palm of my hand and not ignore that because of the difficult circumstances in my life. We're going to close in a word of prayer. I'm going to ask one of our elders to come up. Dave, if you would. Uh, Dave is going to bring up some prayers that are sufferings, and that's what God asks us to do with our difficulties and our sufferings, to bring them to God. So I invite you as a church to, to join in the prayer that he's going to pray, uh, bringing these sufferings, bringing these difficulties to him so that we can get it, not just that we can be healed from them, but that we can view them through a different lens, a lens of faith, a lens that will lead to the comfort that comes from God. Dave? Well, Patrick, there's just one thing I don't like about your message. You took away my excuse to complain. I think he's right. I think we do enjoy complaining because it gives us 